This morning we are back in our Good Design message series, Love, Sex, and Marriage, God's Way. As always, just kind of parental warning time. If you've got little kids, you don't want to talk about sex with them yet, now's the time. Exit preschool ministry to my right, kids' church upstairs. Today, today's going to be pretty tame. Next week, pretty tame. Uh, two weeks from now, not so tame. So just, 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 just so you know. All right, uh, and today I want to talk to you about something that I, I don't know that I've ever heard a church preach on. Uh, I want to talk to you on the subject of dating. And now, if you're like, "Hey, man, uh, I've been married since Moses walked the earth. This doesn't really, this doesn't really help me a whole lot." Uh, th- listen, it, it does, it does help you, and and you need to understand a biblical. You need to have a biblical ethic of dating. And here, here's why. I looked it up this week. Over half the U.S. population is single. All right, so, so even if you're not in like the dating scene, you're going to have kids, grandkids, coworkers, classmates, uh, you know, the whole nine yards, and you're going to need to know how to speak into their life circumstances. So I don't care who you are, if you've been married for 100 years, you, you really need to have a biblical ethic of dating, all right? So the question who and how to date, major question today in our culture, which is kind of seeking answers to sex and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And listen, guys, in a, in a world now, in a culture now of dating apps, of hookup culture, casual sex, disposable relationships, the question has to be, hey, is this really the only way to find love? Like, is, this, is, this the prim- is this the right way? Is this the primary way? Is this the only way? Is this the best way to find romantic relationship, a dating relationship that will eventually lead to a healthy marriage? Or is there actually a healthier alternative than what our culture presents to us? Is there a healthier pathway through the maze of Dating and relationships and sex and marriage. I, I can remember when Cheryl and I first got married, we both grew up as MKs. I grew up in South America. She grew up in Kenya. In fact, her parents, 40-plus years, are still over there. And so our first Christmas, uh, as a married couple, we, we flew to Kenya uh, to see her parents. And uh, her parents were kind enough to take us on a safari. So there's a picture of, uh, of the, one of the images on our safari trip and it was incredible. So we got to experience all the wildlife. There you see a bunch of elephants. We saw lions and the whole nine yards. It, w- it was awesome. And there's a picture of our resort from the top of our resort, which was beautiful. And so there's this watering hole that the elephants w- would kind of walk up to as you eat your breakfast in the morning and kind of watch over it. Really cool. But you'll also notice there, there are walls, right? And even around the, the pool, there's, there's a gate, there's a fence, there's bars. And when we kind of went out in the little safari vehicle, they, all, they also said, hey, listen, you need to stay in the vehicle. And there's like bars and racks and all these kinds of things. And I just want to tell you, like they, all of those systems of protection, the walls and the bars and the safari vehicles and all that kind of stuff, that was not to protect the lions from me. As ferocious as I may look sometimes. That was, I promise you, that was not to protect the lions from me. Those things were all put in place to protect me and Cheryl and the people that we were with so that we could enjoy that experience to the fullest and the safest way possible without us losing our lives or, or losing a limb in the process. And I think, man, today there are a lot of people that see the boundaries that God places around sex and relationships and marriage as killjoys, right? When, when those boundaries are actually the one thing that can, can kind of set us free relationally and sexually, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the fish that is in the ocean, right, and, and swims up to the land and kind of looks up on the land and sees kids running around and people flying kites and the fish thinks like, man, if I could just get on land, I would finally be free. If I could just get on land, man, I would finally, my heart's desire, like, it's, I, that's what I want. I just want to get on that grass and feel the grass underneath my fins, and it will be just, you know, awesome. Now, what would happen if that fish was able to flop up on the land? It would be free for about five seconds, right, before it realized, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. This is actually not freedom at all. I can't breathe. Like, I'm, 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 I'm literally dying here. I love the way Tim Keller, pastor up in New York, says it. Keller says this, freedom is not no boundaries. Freedom is having the right boundaries. And isn't that good? Freedom is not no boundaries. See, that's what we think. Man, I, I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want, I want to be the, the captain of my own destiny. And I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my body and my sexuality or my life or my finances or anything like that. And we think that any restriction is wrong and will lead to a life of no freedom. But as Keller says, no, no, freedom is not no boundaries. 
freedom is having the right boundaries. And listen, guys, the same thing is true about sex and about relationships and about marriage. And I want you to understand, I really believe this, we live in a culture now where I think it's probably harder now than any time in history to establish a healthy dating relationship that leads to a healthy marriage. And the question is, why is that? And I think it's because we, we live now in a hookup culture where, where casual sex is the norm, where access to new and multiple sexual partners is, listen guys, it is as easy as downloading a dating app and swiping left or right. I don't even, which way are you supposed to swipe? I don't know. Left or right? Nobody's falling for it, huh? Yeah, I was, I was going to bust you. I was going to be like, yeah, yeah, elders, go talk to him. Uh, <laughs> I don't know which way you swipe, um, you know, but listen, dating now, from what I understand, I've listened to interviews on this from sociologists that have talked to young people, and this is what I understand to be true. I've heard it multiple times. Oftentimes, relationships now begin with sex as a starting point, and then you get to know the person to see if you want a relationship with them. I'm told it's not uncommon among middle, middle and parents, you need to know this, uh, it's not uncommon among middle, middle school students or high school students to have sex before they kiss or go on the first date. In fact, the sex determines whether or not you want to kiss them or take them on a first date. Uh, I understand that in a culture of easy hookups, quick sex, there's actually a concept called tenderellas. You've heard of that. Girls you can find on dating apps like Tinder that will have sex with you before midnight, no questions asked, no date required. A researcher I came across interviewed college students about hookup culture. As you can imagine, this is very prevalent on college campuses. The most positive response, on the secular college campus, the most positive response this researcher got was, it's fine. Not one single college student said, man, this is awesome. I love it. I love having access to all these new sexual partners. I feel so free sexually. It's incredible. No, the best, most positive response she got was, it's fine. In fact, almost all of them expressed interest and desire for real relationship, for romance, for commitment, and eventual marriage, but they thought it was unattainable in today's culture. Now, church, let me ask you something. What's going on? Is this okay? Is this, is this normal? Is this the way it's always been? Should we, should we as a culture, as the people of Jesus in the culture, should we just accept this as the new normal and embrace this in our lives for us, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our dearest friends? Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be real honest with you. As a, as a pastor, the hardest part this week about preaching on the topic of dating is there are, listen to me, zero passages that deal with dating specifically as we understand it in t t today's context. In fact, dating doesn't even appear in human history, as far as we can tell, until sometime between 1910 and 1920. This is basically a brand new concept that's only about a century old. Before dating, it was pretty much always arranged marriage, which now that I have a teenage daughter, I'm working day and night to bring that back, right? That's... <laughs> I'm going to write a book about it. We're going to start a new movement right here at New Life. It's going to spread all over the world. Arranged marriage. But then historically, we went from arranged marriage to, to what is commonly known as courtship, which basically meant when a young man had interest in a young woman, thought maybe he might want to marry her, uh, he would come into her home with her family and siblings and mom and dad, and the family would evaluate his character. And her family would get to know him and make sure that he actually had the drive and the ability and vision for life to provide for a wife and a family. And then they would spend time getting to know each other around trusted friends and moms and dads and uh, Christian friends. And eventually they would be engaged and they would be married, typically in a pretty short period of time. There was none of this, hey, man, we've been dating for seven years. I mean, what are you doing? You know, this is an American invention. This has uh, never been done before in history. Dating is the first time in human history where a man and a woman basically decide to go off alone, away from family and away from mentors and away from church leaders and away from trusted friends to determine whether or not they want to spend the rest of their life with another human being. And church, can, can we just be honest? The dating experiment of the last 100 years has been a complete and total dumpster fire. So, and this is statistically, 
These are, these are just facts. You can, you can Google these. Um, we've never had more failed relationships, never had a higher divorce rate, never had higher instances of STDs, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, anxiety disorders, you name it, casual dating, hookup culture, casual sex, test driving the car before you buy it, whatever you want to call it, has been a relational disaster of never-before-seen proportions. That is simply a fact that cannot be disputed anymore. And so you say, well, well Chris, okay, that, that's cool, man, but uh, so what's the alternative? What, what's the alternative, man? It seems like that's the only option in our culture. What, what's the alternative? Do we go back to arranged marriages? To which I answer, yes, we go back to arranged marriages. All right, I'm gonna keep pushing that until some of y'all buy in, all right? Do we, do we go back to formal courting? I'm not a, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of that term, courting. I think it carries a lot of baggage with it. In fact, for me, when I hear that term, I think of a, a TLC show that was out where this, this family had like 30 kids or something like that. And, and I'm sure they were lovely, nice people. But all I remember is all the girls, they went to, a, you know, like a beach and all the girls were swimming in skirts and sweatshirts. You know, just kind of a very pharisaical, fundamentalist sort, sort of thing. And they were really into courting. And so that's my, maybe that's my, just my problem, right? That's what, I've, that's what I picture when I hear that word. And so, what, listen, what I, what I want to propose to you this morning, what I want to present to you is a concept that I'm calling intentional dating. Intentional dating or, or kingdom dating, right? And this is vastly different than cultural dating, what, what's happening today in our culture. It is 100% based on biblical principles. And, and although the Bible doesn't address dating specifically, in fact, the Bible doesn't even have a category for dating, frankly, because it's just not a very good idea, I think there are some biblical guidelines that can kind of shape in a healthy way what dating can be for the follower of Jesus. But before we talk about dating, let me just quickly hit on a topic that I think is influencing dating maybe more than anything else in our culture, and that is the topic of pornography. Now, this is sort of the elephant in the room that I think is causing a lot of symptoms of the disease that we see in dating and sex in modern marriage now. And so some of you, if you're younger, maybe you're familiar with some of these stats. If you're older, maybe some of this stuff will be a bit shocking to you. But I just want to give you a quick crash course education on, on porn. The average age of someone in the United States, U.S., that they're exposed to pornography now is in fifth grade elementary school. Okay? So parents, if you're, I'm just saying, if, if you're out there and you're thinking, I'm going to wait till middle school, I'm going to wait till high school before I talk to my kids about porn or sex or masturbation or anything like I'm just telling you, you're, you're late. That ship has already sailed. If you wait till middle school, high school, they can probably give you some pointers on some different things. The average age is now, is now elementary school, the first time they're exposed to porn. Researchers, and this should be scary to all of us, researchers now show that porn literally rewires the brain, the human brain. It creates new pathways and synopses in, in your brain that hardwire your brain to think and react and to view people and relationships and sex in a certain way. And it is very difficult, if not impossible, to fix that once those pathways are put in place. In fact, there's, a, there's an epidemic now in our culture where young men, all right, so I'm not talking about dudes in their 80s. I'm talking about dudes that are 18 to, to 22 to 25, after enough porn exposure, physically cannot even have sex with a real human being. Again, not, I'm not talking about 80-year-olds. I'm talking about 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds that physically cannot even engage in the act of sex with a real human being. And here's why. You guys need to understand this because no human being can ever live up to those images or those videos on an iPhone that are acted out in fantasy land with perfect lighting and perfect editing with oftentimes very unrealistic enhancements with surgeries and the whole nine yards. And, what, and what, what researchers are now even saying is that porn is connected, listen to this guys, to higher incidence of rape, sexual abuse, and divorce, and this is still kind of in the early stages of research, some are now even beginning to connect the dots between porn and gender dysphoria or gender confusion. This seems to be especially true, the gender dysphoria, among middle school and early high school aged girls. 
for as long as we've been tracking such things, just so you guys know, the LGBT population, for as long as we've tracked it, has remained in the 2 to 4% range of total population. The latest stat I saw on Gen Z, the generation that's kind of teenage, entering into adulthood, adulthood, 2 to 4%, all of history, Gen Z, latest stat says nearly 16% of Gen Z now identify on the LGBT spectrum. 16%. And even, not, not Christian, even secular sociologists and psychologists are now sounding the alarm bells. And they're saying, listen, this, this, this jump is not even scientifically explainable or biologically possible. There's something that's happening culturally that is completely reshaping the way that this generation views sex and gender and relationships and marriage, and it's not healthy. Non-Christians are saying this. There's even a phenomenon in Western countries, including the United States, where, listen, guys, entire groups of primarily middle school-aged and early high school-aged girls are coming out as transgender or bisexual in groups. So it's not just one girl kind of individually. It's like a group of three, group of four, group of six friends kind of get together and decide, hey, we're going to come out as transsexual, bisexual, lesbian, whatever it is. And sociologists and researchers are now saying, guys, this is not even possible. This is scientifically, biologically, we've never seen this historically. There's something else at work in our culture that is causing this, and this is not healthy for our culture or society. And some of them are pointing to pornography as part of the equation. And what they're saying is, hey, we think that porn is actually so toxic to the human mind, it's so dangerous that it's, it's not only just doing something to our brains that literally kind of disorders us sexually, it actually is messing even with our gender identity. Furthermore, marriage researchers now state that porn is one of, if not the primary underlying reason for divorce in culture now. One of the primary, if not the number one reason for divorce now is pornography use. One source I looked at this week had 90%, they didn't put the age, so I don't know if it's like 30 and under, 35 and under, but 90% of young men in the USA are consuming porn at least once a month. Nine out of 10 young men are porn consumers. That means moms and dads, odds are your son's, he, he's in, tapped into it in, in some form or fashion. Not only that, now one out of three young women are porn consumers. So mom and dad, if you think, hey, little, little Jenny in seventh grade, man, she's innocent, she's not, you know, she's a girl, I'm sick, wrong. One out of three girls now consuming porn at least on a monthly basis. Listen to this guy, this is heartbreaking. One porn producer I read this week said this, and I quote, the porn producer, dude that makes porn videos, this is what he said. It's amazing. Girls show up to the set now porn ready. We don't even have to train them anymore. So these 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old girls are showing up to shoot explicit sexual activity for the enjoyment of millions of men that they will never, ever even see or meet, and the porn producers don't even have to train them anymore. They're, they have so consumed this pornography that they're ready to go at age 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Now, now let, me ju- let me just say a couple of things. Number one, if you are here and you are caught as undoubtedly a huge percentage of you here and watching online are. If you are caught in that spider web of porn addiction, let me just say, please get help. Please get help. I promise you it's not going away on its own. You cannot defeat this monster on your own. We as a church are gonna do our best to come alongside so many of you. Listen, we got a, we got a resource out there on the resource table that deals with porn addiction but listen, you need filters on your iPhones and your devices and your computers, your laptops. Listen, the other thing is you need to have friends who love you enough and who have access enough to your inner personal life that can get in your face and challenge you. And say, bro, I know this is a struggle for you. I know your wife was out of town last night. How did you do? And if you didn't do so well, you need to have somebody that has permission to get in your face and say, we can do better than that, man. Let's get you some more filters. Let's get you some more accountability. Let's, let's sell that stupid iPhone and get you a flip phone if that's what it takes. But you cannot let this stuff dominate your life and your relationships. 
In my house, we use filtering software called NetNanny. It's pretty good. Some of you guys, I know, use uh, Covenant Eyes. That's another filtering uh, thing, technology software. There's a brand new technology. Write this down. There's a, there's a brand new technology out there called Canopy. Canopy, C-A-N-O-P-Y. It's a brand new technology, that, that and we're going to switch to this soon in, in my house. But it filters out not just pornographic websites, but images, porn images. So if you go to a website that looks safe, and there's accidentally, or they're trying to sneak it in there, it'll automatically filter those images out for you and your kids. So let me just say, listen, if you're, if you're trapped in that spider web, and listen, I, I'm under no illusions. A lot of Christians are as well. Friend, please do not let shame keep you from getting the help that you need. Jesus does not desire for you to walk in slavery to pornography. He's got a better pathway for you. Secondly, parents, can we just have real talk for a minute? Mom and dads, can we just, can we just talk for a second? If you are giving your preteen or your teenager unrestricted access to devices that connect to the internet, whether it's laptops, smartphones, tablets, I'm just telling you, you can get mad, you can email me all you want, but I'm telling you, in love, you are setting your kid up for relational, emotional, and sexual disaster for life. Can I I just be real honest with you at the risk of really making you mad? Again, this is coming from a place of love. Your 12-year-old and your 13-year-old does not need a smartphone. I'm not convinced your 15 or 16-year-old needs a smartphone. And no, I don't give a rip that all of their friends at school have one. I want you to listen to me. My job as a parent is not to be my kid's best friend. My job is to be their father. And they can be mad at me now, and they can thank me a decade later. But if you're going to give your kid or your teen one of these devices, and I think you should think really long and hard about before you do that, but if you are going to give them one of these devices, I'm begging you, parents, please make sure you have protective filtering software on it. Make sure you have access to all of their social media accounts and passwords, their text messaging, the whole nine yards. Parents, listen to me. Until they are 18 or out of the house, that is your job. You are a parent. You are not called to be their best friend right now. Your job is to disciple your kids, to guide your kids, and to protect your kids, and they are not adults at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. They are not. Now, here's, here's the, the truth. We can't, even, we can't even talk about dating until we deal with this elephant in the room because pornography has so invaded, it's been injected into the veins of the whole dating scene of our culture, and so we've got to address porn before we can even talk about dating. So now that we've talked about that, let me give you, I want to give you six principles for intentional dating or kingdom dating. Here's number one. be on the screens for you. Number one, run after Jesus harder than you run after anyone else. In dating, run after Jesus harder than you run after anybody else. Look, th- think of life kind of as a race. Right, So you're, you're running after Jesus and you're following him and you're serving him and you're using all your gifts and abilities to serve his kingdom. Listen, as you run that race, there are going to be all kinds of people running around you. Some people are going to be running in the opposite direction. Some people are going to be running right in front of you. Some will be running kind of close to you, but they're veering off a little bit to the side. And listen, guys, some of them will be really cute, but they're running after money or they're running after fame. Fame, or they're running after easy sex, or whatever it is. And let me just say, if you're a believer, let them run on by. Don't even wave at them. Just keep your head down and keep running. And here's what's going to happen. As you run with Jesus, run after Jesus for a while, you'll begin to notice that there are some other people that are running in the same direction at the same basic pace that you're running. You're going to notice that there are some other people with the same spiritual foundation and goals in life that you have. That's when you're going to run just a little bit closer and you're going to say, hey, girl, how you doing? Or, hey, boy, how you doing? Looks like you're running after Jesus. Yeah, I am. Well, guess what I'm doing? I'm running after Jesus, too. You're kind of cute. You're not bad yourself. You want to go grab some coffee? Study the Bible. (laughs) Now, it's probably not going to be that cheesy, and it probably shouldn't be that cheesy. (laughs) But that's the general idea. And listen to me. Then you can begin to explore and see if that type of person has the type of character needed to seriously consider running next to each other for the next 50 or 60 years. 
But listen to me, young believer, maybe divorced believer who's back in the dating scene, widower, widowed, whatever it is. If you Listen, Christian, if you are not running in the right direction, if you're not running harder after Jesus than you're running after anybody else, listen, you are never going to find the right kind of person to run with you to begin with. Now let me, let me tell you something as a, as a pastor, and this is, just, this is for free, this kind of side note. If I, had, if I had a $20 bill as a pastor for every single time I've had somebody come into my office in tears, usually a woman, that says something, the story's always the same, something along the line of, hey, Pastor uh, Chris, I, I married this dude who wasn't a Christian. I knew he wasn't a Christian, but he was really funny and he was really cute and he really made me feel special or he claimed to be a Christian, but he never went to church and he wanted to have sex all the time. Listen, your boy is lying. Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit, right? And he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't following Jesus, but I fell in love with him and so I got married now and, and, and now it's been a few years, we got a couple of kids and we don't, we, we don't share the same spiritual foundation now and now there's, there's conflict with how we raise the kids and do we go to church on Sunday morning? Do we go to the park on Sunday morning? Do we go hiking on Sunday morning? And it's, and it's crazy and it's not healthy and I don't like it and I don't think it's healthy for my kids. Pastor, what do I do now? And I have to tell them, beloved, sister, that the scriptures are clear. If a believer is, finds himself married to an unbelieving spouse, the, the, the goal is to stay there and to love them with the passion and the compassion of Jesus and to, to live out the gospel in front of them on a daily basis in such a way that they also might be one to Jesus. That's, that's your calling now. But listen, if you're not married, I want to spare you from that pain and I want to spare you from that conversation in my office three years from now. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. It'll be on the screens for you. He says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, even though Paul is likely not specifically addressing dating here or marriage here, the principle for sure applies to both dating and marriage. See, in those days, it was, a, it was a farming society, it was an agrarian society, and so oftentimes they would use oxen to plow fields with a device called a yoke. And so we got a picture of a, a yoke right there on some, some oxen. This was a, a wooden device that would kind of be laid over the shoulders of, of two oxen, and, and they could accomplish a lot because they were basically the same size, they were the same breed of animals, and they moved at basically the same pace, and so they made a great team. But let me ask you something. If you took an ox and you yoked it with a miniature donkey or a rabbit or a poodle, what would happen? You think they're going to get anything done on that farm? It's going to be a disaster. Why? Because they aren't the same thing. They aren't heading in the same direction. They aren't running at the same speed. In fact, what's going to happen is if you hook up a donkey with oxes, they're going to run in circles. They're literally going to go in circles. They're never going to go anywhere in life. That field is not going to get plowed at all. And so listen, guys, principle number one, intentional dating is run after Jesus harder than you run after anybody else. Here's principle number two, just as important. Find someone running the same direction. That's what Paul is saying. Find somebody who's not running the opposite direction or sort of the same direction. Well, they're spiritual and they talk about God or a higher power. No! If they do not love Jesus more than they love anything else in the world, do not date them. That's what Paul is saying. And listen, as you're, as you're kind of beginning this process of, of running, finding somebody that's running the same direction, they're chasing Jesus just as hard as you are, you begin that process you apply principle number three, which is on the screen for you now. You begin to evaluate their character and their chemistry. Character and chemistry, both super important. Now, I'm, just, I'm getting a lot of this out of Ben Stewart's a book, which, by the way, is in the lobby. It's a fantastic work on dating and marriage. And so if you're young, you're a parent, whatever, I would encourage you on the way out, stop, stop by, pick it up. Um, but, but here's, why you, here's why you need to evaluate both. See, a lot, a lot of people just look at, at chemistry, which, to be fair, is, is very important, right? Like, like do we connect relationally? Do we, do we enjoy spending time together? 
Like, like, can we watch a movie together and laugh together and go on dates and actually talk together and have good conversation? Like, if you don't enjoy spending time with somebody, you just, just, just heads up, you probably shouldn't marry them, right? I know that, that's like revolutionary in today's culture, but if you, don't, if you don't have a friendship with somebody, you probably shouldn't be having sex with them. You probably shouldn't be married to them. Now, I remember uh, I graduated from high school in Birmingham. I moved up to uh, North Carolina to, to go to college. And the summer before, um, before I went to college, I was working at a department store. And I was, I was working in the back of the department store. And there was this cute little girl that was working in, in the front of the department store. And so we kind of did the eyes thing, you know, a couple of times. And then so one day I'm back in my department and she comes back and walks straight up to me, introduces herself, says, hey, my name is, you know, Jenny or whatever it is and hands me a little piece of paper and walks off. I open up the piece of paper, and it's got her name and her phone number on it. And I'm like, I think I'm going to like North Carolina. I think this is, th is going to be, I mean, I figured I had it going on, but I didn't know I had it. I'm not sure I had it going on quite like that. So I was like, man, this is, this is kind of cool. And I, you guys may or may not know this about me. A lot of people, the shocks people because of what I do, but I'm an introvert by nature, right? I'm just kind of naturally shy, kind of awkward around people socially. And, uh, and so when I was uh, in, in my late teens, early 20s, when I go on a date, I would literally ha write out conversational questions and put them in my pocket. All right? I know. That's crazy, right? And uh, this is back in the days when you actually had to have conversational skills to go on a date with somebody, you know, IRL in real life. And um, so anyway, I, 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 so I was like, man, okay, this is, this is cool. And I called her and said, hey, I would like to take you on a date. She said yes. And so we go, and we go to a restaurant, and we're having dinner, and I got my little, my little thing, right? And so we kind of talking, and then things get a little quiet, and I just, she take a bite of spaghetti or something, and I pull it up. And, so what was the first concert you went to? Huh? <laughs> you know? So I had my little, my little cheat sheet, right, going on. And it was great as long as I was asking her questions, but I ran out of questions, man, and it was crickets, Right? I mean, she didn't have any questions for me. There were no, there was nothing. So we went to a movie. It was silence. We watched the movie. I drove her home. It was like 20 minutes of silence. And, and that was it. I never called her again, right? That, that was it. There was no chemistry. There was no chemistry. Now, contrast that with uh, my dating experience with my now wife, Cheryl. We met in the gym. We kind of hit it off. And so I uh, called her. And I listen, I was a brand new believer. So I'm not suggesting this, but I was nervous. And again, with this day before, no apps, like I couldn't just like send her a little message, like a little coward, and not have to actually talk to her face to face. But I, I actually had to had to like talk to her and have relational skills like face to face with human beings. And and I was really nervous. And so I took a couple of shots of whiskey and I picked up the phone. I'm telling, I'm not. Hey, listen, I'm just being honest. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm saying I was a new believer. I didn't know any better. And so I took a couple of shots of whiskey because I was nervous. And I called her and said, Hey, uh, um, I would love to take you on a date. And she said yes. And so me and, and all my, my guy's friend in college, we played all these sports together. We'd have these massive cookouts and invite like dozens and dozens of people. It was like a big party thing. So that was our, our first date. And so I had all this food and I grilled out for her and I served her dinner, man. And then we were all watching a movie afterwards and we were just like staring into each other's eyes, like engrossed in conversation. All my friends were like, oh, gross, man. You know, stop, just watch the movie. And we didn't care what anybody thought, man. We were just, boom, like hours of conversation. We'd call on the phone, hours of conversation. There was just that chemistry, man. We were, we were friends. Like I wanted to spend time with her, and it wasn't about sex. We didn't pollute our relationship with sex early on. It was just about getting to know another human being, and it was, let me tell you, it was awesome. It was awesome. We had great chemistry. Now, now listen, chemistry alone won't do it. Chemistry alone won't do it. You need to make sure that you have the right kind of character in the other person as well. So young believer, divorced believer, now back on the dating scene, whatever it is, you need to be evaluating not just chemistry, but their character. Ladies, does he have a short temper? Dudes, is she argumentative? She's just looking for a fight half the time. Is he only concerned with you doing his hobbies, but he never wants to do your hobbies with you? Is she a gossip? Is he a liar? I just want, let me tell you something. Those character flaws don't tend to get better after marriage. They tend to get exposed and highlighted and illuminated, and they tend to get worse and worse and worse. The Bible warns us, by the way, to evaluate these things. Look on the screens. This is Proverbs 25. It says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's a biblical principle for you ladies looking for a man. Does that cute, funny guy lack control over his temper? And 
Does he lack control over his sexual impulses? Red flag. Keep running. Keep running. Proverbs, this is the next one. Proverbs 25, 24 says this. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And all the married men said. No, you better not say it. <laughs> I almost set you up. I almost set you up. Listen, guys, listen. Is she, is she, <laughs> that was wrong. I apologize. I'm sorry. I need counseling. She, is, listen, guys, is she, is she just a disagreeable person? Dudes, does she love drama? Run. Run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Now, now listen, guys and girls, when, when that happens, you're, you're doing your best, you're trying to find somebody running in the same direction, and, and there's something that happens, there's just immaturity, there's spiritual sin going on. Now, don't, listen, please, don't, don't just ghost the other person. That's not, that's not Christ-like. That, that other person, that brother or sister in Christ, deserves honesty. So would you be honest with them? In, in love, you don't have to be mean about it, but in love, will you tell them the truth? Hey, look, I, I like you, but I, I'm sensing some anger issues. I'm sensing some sexual control issues. I'm, I'm sensing that you always want to be alone, and that doesn't feel right or mature. Like, you never want to be around my family. You never want to go to church with me. You never want to go to youth group with me. And I got, so I, can, I, can't, I just can't run this race with you in this way. It's not healthy for me. I don't think you're ready. I think you need to deal with some stuff with the Lord. And listen, if you're a believer, if you're on the receiving end of one of those conversations, please don't respond like a defensive little toddler. Be gracious. Be grateful that a brother or sister cares enough to give you an honest answer, to be truthful with you about where they see your spiritual life at right now. Here's, here's uh, principle number four for intentional dating. Number four, practice purity. Practice purity. Now, I know this runs counter to everything our culture is screaming right now. In fact, one thing that I hear very consistently from young people who are dating is they hear from people they're dating, hey, we, we need to have sexual chemistry before we can talk about engagement and marriage. I mean, it's almost across the board. I, I hear that all the time. And so the stupidest argument that gets made is, hey, I wouldn't even buy a car before I test drive it. Why would I marry somebody before I see if there's sexual compatibility there? Now, look, church, I don't, I don't mean to be crass this morning, but if the parts fit, it's going to work out just fine. Okay? I don't think I need to go into any more depth than that, okay? If the parts fit, it's going to work out just fine. Now, here's the cool thing. And you have a lifetime together to figure out and have fun and ramp up sexual chemistry. That's half the fun of being married, and let me tell you something, what people really mean when they say, hey, uh, uh, we have to see if there's sexual compatibility before we get married, here's what they really mean. You ready for this? This is what they really mean. They really mean, I want to evaluate your sexual performance, and if you don't meet my oftentimes porn-like standards, I'm moving on. So young ladies especially, you need to hear, that's what he's saying to you. I want to evaluate you like a porn star. And if you don't meet my standards, I'm moving on to someone who can meet my sexual desires and fantasies better than you did. And you're giving yourself away to this lie again and again, and you're giving away things that you can never get back. Guys, let me just say, man, this, this is a toxic lie from the enemy. Listen to me. Anybody who tells you that they need to check sexual compatibility before marriage, you just tell them you don't date inbred morons with low IQs, right? <laughs> That's what you tell them. And then you start running the opposite direction, right? You just start running the opposite direction. Now, Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible. We'll get into this more in two weeks. Uh, this is a book in the Bible that, this is kind of funny, actually. Jewish men were not allowed to read this book until they were 30 years of age, all right, if that tells you anything. It is erotic. It is love poetry, that describes the dating or courting period and the wedding night of a godly man and woman. Two weeks, we'll get into the, the wedding night. And listen, it is not PG-13, it is NC-17, or whatever the ranking is above that. I mean, it, it, it's hot and heavy. And listen to me, it is Holy Spirit-inspired scripture as well, praise Jesus, right? 
Now, again, two weeks, we're going to get more into this, so just brace yourselves, all right? You come, come in two weeks prepared, right? Put your big boy, big girl pants on because we're going to get into it. But, but listen, the first couple of chapters, they're in the intentional dating phase. So they're not married. They're not sleeping together. There's no weird stuff going on. They're in the intentional dating phase, the courtship phase. And listen, the first two chapters, they are just poetically expressing their love and desire for one another, right? Man, your neck is like the, the Tower of Lebanon. It's all this, you know, sort of stuff, right? And they're just going on about how awesome each other are, and it's kind of nauseating. But man, it's, it's really, they're getting passionate. And then we come to the middle of chapter two, and the bride-to-be says this. This will be on the screens for you. Look at what she says. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. And so she and her fiancé are in the heat of the moment. They are in love. They are fully committed to one another. They are getting married. They are desiring each other sexually and physically in the first two chapters. And she pauses in the middle of the chapter and she goes, not until the time is right. Now, on the wedding night, it's game on, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks. But, but do not awaken love until the time is right. Now, listen, something as a pastor, you know, as pastors, we hear all the time, it's somebody will come into our office, premarital counseling, you know, whatever it is, and they're like, man, we messed up. Well, tell me about it. What, what happened? And almost inevitably, the story is the, the same. Well, we were in her apartment or her dorm room, Late at night, we're in his apartment, his dorm room. Late at night, we're at my parents' house. They were on vacation. Were you guys alone? Yeah, we were, we were alone. So l- let me just tell you, whether, whether you're here and you're a young single person, whether you're divorced and you're back in the whole dating scene, whatever it is, listen, um, this, 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 this philosophy of waiting until the time is right is extremely important. Listen, don't put yourself in positions where you're going to fail. Listen, if I, if I struggle with alcohol addiction, guess where you're not going to find me on Friday night? The bar. Don't put yourself in positions where you can fail. Listen, go to the movies with your friends. Go to restaurants in public. Do not awaken love until the time is right. Pursue purity. Listen, the stats are clear. We're going to dive deeper in two weeks. Listen, this is important. Couples who wait to have sex until their wedding night statistically have more sex, better sex, and fewer divorces than those who don't wait. It is almost as if the designer of this thing called sex knows how it's designed to work in the healthiest way possible. Imagine that. Just saying, all right? Principle number five for intentional dating is date in community, believer. Date in community. For all of human history... Parents and mentors and faith communities and pastors and youth pastors have been heavily involved in the intentional dating and marriage process. It's only in the last century that couples have decided that it was a great idea to go off in isolation and make one of the most important life-altering decisions with no input from the people that love them most and know them best. Can I just say, that is the, it's, it's such a dumb idea. It's so unhealthy, and here's why. Listen, when you are falling in love with someone, listen to me, you are not objective. Did you know that? When you're falling in love with someone, you got these pheromones, all these chemicals in your brain, you are not an objective person. You become blind to their faults, like all the stuff that your friends and your parents can see. You're like, oh, no, he's wonderful. He's a wonderful person. She's a wonderful person. Everybody around you is going, oh, man, this is bad news. But you are blinded because you're intoxicated by love. I, am in, I love them so much, right? How many times have you, have you been around a new couple and, and it's just disgusting how delusional they are about each other, right? Like literally you start gagging. You're just like, you know, I can't, I, I can't handle this, right? And you, and you hear it, like guys will say stuff like, man, I bet, I bet her breath smells like roses and chocolate in the morning, right? That's what I say, brother, that is not true. I promise you that is not true. She's got dragon breath just like everybody else in the morning. You need objective people who are not intoxicated by love who can speak truth, believer, into your relationships. Look at Proverbs 11 on the screens. It says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but listen, 
in an abundance of counselors, there is what? Safety. Safety. So the writer of Proverbs is saying, you need other people around you that can see things that you cannot see that have permission to speak into your life and your relationships. Listen, believer, you need to be dating in community. Listen, if they won't come to church with you, deal breaker. If they won't come to small group with you, youth group, run the other way. If they won't hang out at home and movie night with your parents and siblings, they're immature punks that are not ready to date you. If they always want to be alone with you and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, listen, they got some growing up to do. Do not waste your time. They are not ready. Date in community. The health of your future marriage, in large part, literally depends on it. This is important stuff. These are biblical principles, not meant, not meant to enslave us, but to actually free us to experience sex and relationship and marriage in a way that would be helpful for us and allow us to flourish in life. Final principle, and we're almost done. Number six, Christian, pray and relax. Pray and relax. And I, I, I see like 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds on social media like, man, I'm so depressed. Me and my boo broke up. Man, like, no, 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 I don't know if I can live life anymore. I'm like, dude, when I was 12, I was playing with G.I. Joes. What are you doing? What the heck are you doing? It's like a decade before you even need to be like thinking along these lines. What are we doing in our culture? So yes, listen, pray that God would bring you the right person and the right time to run the race of life with you if that's your desire. Listen, some of you God has called to singleness, which by the way, our culture despises, but the Bible lifts up. Singleness is a beautiful calling. It can be a full life. We're going to get into that more next week. But listen, if you want to be married, pray that God would bring that person around as you run after Jesus, make it clear. But listen, also make sure that you're becoming the person that one of God's sons or daughters would want to run this race with. So instead of just being selfish and focusing on, hey, God, give me this, and I want this kind of person with these kind of measurements, and I want him to be this tall, and all these kind of things. No, no, you be focusing on your character. You be focusing on your love relationship with Jesus, your patience, your kindness. And then one day, you're going to be running hard after Jesus. You're going to look up, and there's going to be someone else that's running at the same pace. That's when you're going to jog over and say, hey, girl, let's grab coffee, IRL. Let's go on a date. Let's see, if, let's see if maybe this could go somewhere. And then listen, the second part of that is relax. Relax. Again, I see so many middle school students, high school students, man, they invest so much emotional trauma and energy into these relationships that everybody around them knows is never going to go anywhere. They're so stressed out about having the right guy and the right girl in the 15, 16 years. Listen, don't stress about a believer. In the right time, the right person, God will bring them along. You don't need to be worried about it. Listen, if God controls the hearts of kings, he also controls the hearts of cute boys and girls. Doesn't he? So rest in him, believer. Trust in him. Run after him. We're going to close with this. The band can go ahead and come up. Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Seek first Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? That as we seek Jesus first, as we run after him first, as we pursue his kingdom first, all these other little details, your boo, the dating relationship, the good sex life, marriage, all of that will be added to you if you seek him first and you run after him let me invite you to just bow your heads for a moment as we close. Now, I'm just assuming that some of you right now are probably thinking, hey, Chris, that's a great message. I wish I would have heard it when I was like 12, but that ship has sailed long ago for me. Chris, I already had an affair. I've been through divorce. I've slept with a dozen or more people. I'm living with my girlfriend now. I'm sleeping with my boyfriend now. Chris, I'm hooked on pornography now. Listen, here, here's... Here's the good news, beloved. And I want you to hear me say this clearly. That's why Jesus came. That's 
why Jesus came. Listen, there, there's nobody in this room right now, there's nobody that's tuned in online that is not broken, that is not a sinner, that is not a sexual sinner, if not in practice, then in heart and mind. Listen, we are all in the same boat. We are all drowning, and we need a Savior who will jump in and rescue us. And that is exactly what we get in Jesus. That's why he came. He didn't come from, for perfect people without sin. He didn't come for people that got it all figured out because that person does not exist on this planet. And the good news of the gospel is this. Listen, friend, that when we were broken, that we were, when we were in our sin, when we were enjoying our sexual sin, when we were rebellious towards the way of our creator, Jesus came into our mess anyway, and he lived a perfect life that you should have lived, but you never could because you're just like me. You're broken and you're a sinner at heart. And he lived that perfect life on your behalf and my behalf. And he died a brutal death to atone for, to pay for your sin and my sin. Listen, all of it. Every sexual sin you've ever committed, every sexual sin you've ever thought about, he died, nailed to the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And then he rose again three days later to offer us forgiveness and freedom and new life and a new start and a new relationship with him. Listen, if you want that this morning, come and get it. He offers it to you when we pray in just a minute. If that's where you're at, you're like, man, I, I want Jesus. Um, I want Jesus more than anything else. I'm tired of being a slave to porn. I'm tired of being a slave to sexual experiences. I'm tired of bouncing from relationship to relationship. I want Jesus more than I want anything else. And I want to start that relationship, that life transforming relationship today. Then you just cry out in a moment in your own words. You you give your life to him, you pledge your allegiance to him, you ask him to give you his Holy Spirit, he promises that he will, you turn from your sin, you begin to run after him, and he will revolutionize your life, I promise you. Father, we come to you as we prepare to worship and sing. I pray, Father, that you would help us, that you would teach us to run after you more than we run after anything else in this life, including relationships or sexual experiences or marriage. Help us to seek your kingdom first and your promise is beautiful that you will add these other things in our life at the appropriate time with the appropriate people that will bring you glory and give us happiness and success in our life so teach us to trust you and we pray and we ask all these things in the beautiful name of jesus your son our savior amen church let's stand let's worship